Hey, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to those who are coming back. I have some good friends, Kari and family in the back row. They're here. First time, I think. I see you. Well, Kari and myself and Brandon and Jason Serrano, we are four dads who are part of the coaching staff of our daughter's middle school basketball team this year. So we're spending a lot of time. Glad you're here joining us for worship. Jason, you're there. I see you guys. That's the many hats, one of the many hats that we wear. Also, Guru and family, welcome back. We're so glad you're here and joining us for worship. They're part of the Nepali community here in Harrisburg. God is doing an amazing thing. How's all the uh, New Year's resolutions so far? Last week was good. You're doing good. Kim's doing good. How about you? Who's made a resolution? Don't be shy. Murray, you've made a resolution? We need to talk. <laughs> I love resolutions. Res I mean, it's important. It's a, it's a cultural thing, but it's like, it, it's like a tool that helps us. You know, the basic idea is I just want to be a little better somewhere in the future, looking much better than we're looking right now. Remember that, remember that uh, prophetic word from Kim Clement? That's just the idea, right? You may make, maybe you make you know, 20 resolutions and you kind of do half of one. That's still improvement in God's eyes. It's still <laughs> improvement, right? And so I, I love resolutions and there are many that we do. Who's doing a, uh, like a food diet resolution? Don't be shy. Brandon and Sam. Who else? Come on, Brian. Come on, don't be. I see you, Mr. Aguilar. Financial resolutions, right? You want to be better stewards, better stewards of how you use your, your finances. Disciplines, personal disciplines. Oh, yeah, a lot of hands went up. I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. every day, right? Who's <laughs> Three. I, that happens normally these days. I'm like trying to not have that discipline. Uh, relational. There's so many different things that we do, and it's all good. How about Bible reading? Uh-huh. Look around. Those are the people who didn't read their Bible. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> this year, I'm going to read the Bible more, and that's my resolution. Who's, who's reading the Bible in one year, looking to read it? Like, oh, you're on a plan already. Come on, raise your hand high. Good job. Look around. Who is reading the Bible in one month? Oh. Come on now. I know Marcy is. Are you Sarah? Sarah King. Come on. Sarah, you're doing it as well. One month. That's incredible. I said, are you doing the audio Bible, Sarah? She said, no, I'm reading. So... I'm doing all the laundry, I'm doing all the cooking, I'm doing all the shop, grocery shopping. She's like, yeah, right. <laughs> no, she's doing everything. It's amazing. But Bible reading is an amazing thing. This morning for, for our, my message this morning is centered around a passage of scripture I feel presents itself in a new beginning, as if it was a new year. The reading and the writing of this passage and this book of the Bible introduces a new year, a new era into where it was written and in, in, into the time of history. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, turn to uh, Psalm chapter, Psalm, the book of Psalms. <clears throat> Psalm 
And you know, if you want to get a quick start on reading the Bible, how many of you, be honest, have done the Bible roulette and you like, you know, you have your Bible reading, but you don't have time for it today, right? There's a lot of, you know, on your schedule, but you just want to get a quick word of encouragement and you turn to the book of Psalms. You don't turn to Deuteronomy for that hot word of the day. You don't turn to Ezekiel for that hot word of the day. Not even Matthew, poor Matthew, you know. But we turn to the book of Psalms. Something, there's something unique about the book of Psalms. And I would always think, why is it where it is? It seems like it shouldn't be where it's placed. In my Bible, I marked it. This is where the book of Psalms, kind of, kind of in the middle of all of scriptures, in the Old Testament reading, in the Old Covenant understanding and landscape, we see this unusual book that sets itself apart even to this day, even to the casual Bible roulette readers. You know where to go to. It's like a cheat sheet. It's like a code. If you want a quick fix in scriptures, in God, go read it. I mean, you don't even have to know where you are in, in, in Psalms, right? So I begin to think there's something different about this book. What is it doing in the Old Testament? And as I begin to like think and contemplate and ponder this more, I'm seeing more and more that it introduces a new language. It introduces a new reality into the Old Testament way of life. A new language and new rules of engagement as well. It introduces poetry in a landscape of prose. It introduces music in a landscape of dissonance. It introduces song in the landscape of liturgy. And I love liturgy. It also introduces wonder in the landscape of religious study. It also introduces awe in the landscape of mundane familiarity. The songs and the writings in this book of the Bible, in Psalms, it's like a divine disruption into a whole nation's pursuit of God and understanding the discovery of their own life in response to God. It disrupts everything that they know until that point. It seems to be interrupting the normal flow. It peers vulnerably deep into the human soul and invites us to discover God with raw emotions. It boldly invites us to embrace holiness and find salvation even through the cracks of our brokenness. Where until that point in time, our brokenness and our lack of that ability to grab a hold of God kind of took, took us out of the picture. And the priests had to atone for them once a year to say, hey, you're kind of still making it. Hold on to dear life. They were, as a nation, barely holding on to what they were called to. All of a sudden, there's, these, there's songs in the land. There shouldn't be reasons for these songs. But all of a sudden, there are sounds of these songs. So turn to Psalm chapter 1. This is not an exhaustive study of the book of Psalms. We're just going to look at chapter 1. 
Last week I was here kind of medit- thinking about this context for this message, and Brian got up and he had 12 for 12, 12 points for 12 weeks, 12 months. I was like, man, I have half a verse I'm working with here for next week. But I have 12 slides. So, Father, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation here among us. Speak deep into us. Elevate our spirit, our soul, our body, our emotions, all that we are. Bring us to where you intend to through the reading of your beautiful word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. You know, the... Most of Psalms, as they were discovered, the ancient manuscripts were discovered, a lot of them has the uh, post, uh, pre-script who wrote the, the, each Psalm. You know, some of them, like 40-some, we don't know who the authors are. David wrote, 73 of the Psalms are, are ascribed to David. And in, in Jewish thought, they, they ascribe more than 73, close to 88 Psalms uh, to David. And Psalm chapter 1 and 2, there's no, there's, it, we're, it's not known. The author is unknown or unlisted. That doesn't mean no one is the writer. Someone did write it. And uh, there's an there's a Orthodox rabbi, Ezekiel Isidore Epstein, in the turn of the last century. He began to provoke Jewish thought concerning the Messianic figure, concerning who the Messiah would be, concerning Jewish thought of scriptures itself, and especially the book of Psalms. And he says, he provokes their thought. Not only did he say, I believe this is written by David. He says, I think the Psalm chapter 1 and 2 specifically is about David. And in Psalm chapter 2, there's a verse. It says, I have set my king on my holy Mount Zion. It's, it's setting up the scene for the rest of the book of Psalms, talking about David as a foreshadowing of the Messiah that would come. For them, they didn't know it was foreshadowing or not, but he lived out that personality and that character. And that verse in Psalm chapter 2, I've set my king on my holy Mount Zion, is special to Sarah and I. In 2000, end of 2006, Sarah was pregnant with our, with our second child. And in the, right at the end of the first trimester, I think, um, I, was, I used to play drums back then, Rusty, believe it or not, um, on Sundays, and I was, we were just about to start, Andrew, you're here, just about to start worship, and someone ran up and said, Chandi, Sarah needs you in the, in the office. Come quickly, it's an emergency. So I ran back into the office, and she's laying on a couch and, you know, crying, and, uh, and she's bleeding heavily, and we, she's in active miscarriage, miscarrying the baby. And we just sat there, we didn't have a prayer. We didn't have any, we didn't feel courage and faith and strength. We just sat there in our, you know, parents know those moments in our weakness, helpless, feeling helpless. Hours went by and we are, there's like feeble prayers coming out. Some of the staff came periodically throughout the service and stayed with us and, and uh, prayed with us. Jason and Carrie spent, you know, hours with us praying. And towards the end of that time, a long period had passed, Sarah began, in our only prayers, she felt to start reading the book of Psalms. In that moment, it wasn't a roulette. It was, I need to hear from the Lord. I need life in this moment, literally. And she read Psalm chapter 1, and she read 
into Psalm chapter 2, and, and she read this verse, I have set my king on my holy mountain Zion, and the baby kicked in her womb. I don't know if he's here. Where is he? I told him you have to be in the service every Sunday. He's going to be 16 this year. Thank you, Lord. We were celebrating the story of the Mitchells who are here at the first service, the owners of Lancaster Cupcake. They heard the, the, the message and they came, Chandi, when, you, when they had a miscarriage, they went to the doctor. You heard, did you hear the testimony on Christmas Eve? They had a baby and she, she was miscarrying. They went back for an ultrasound and there was, there was no baby in the, in, the, in the imaging. So they have a picture of a baby and then active miscarriage, lots of bleeding, several days, and they went back. There's no baby in the womb. And he came in desperate. People prayed for him. That Sunday, I happened to be up doing communion. And I don't even remember that moment, but I was talking about the power of resurrection. And I spoke that out. And they felt that was a moment for them to receive faith. They went back later that week, and they have a picture. And the doctor said, we don't know what's going on. There's a baby in your womb. I didn't connect the two stories together till this morning after I shared it in the first service. They said, we didn't realize when you said that, we heard your story. There's an impartation. Isn't that amazing how God connects these things? We just live in faith and some, some, sometimes trepidation. Zion just walked in. Good job. Stay in here. Thank you, Lord. Back to Psalms. No matter who wrote the first chapter, I believe it was David. I can't imagine anyone else having the honor of writing the first chapter of Psalms than David. He definitely created a culture of, a new culture through the writings and through these songs. And the chronology is important too because until then, what they had was the, the books of the law. When God gave them, because of the fall, God gave them the first five books of, Mo, the, the books of the law, giving them commandments, all these things, follow these things so you can continue, even in the fallen nature, continue to be my people. And then there are the books of history, Judges and Ruth and Samuel, Kings and Chronicles. They were telling the story, basically, of this ragtag bunch that God called to be a nation that would represent him, albeit kind of poorly at that time, barely making it. And it came till a time when they said, God, we've had enough. We can't handle this anymore, this living by faith, this following you, a God that we can't even see. Give us a God, give us a king like the other nations. You see, when we go to war, we see their king dressed in the full, you know, kingly garments, and we feel the strength, and well, here we are. We don't even know who our, our king is. We don't have a king, and we have to follow you. It's too much for us. Give us a king. This is the, the state of the nation of Israel. God in his mercy... He says, okay, you can have this man, Saul, that I have appointed. And Saul becomes king. And somehow in the genius plan of God, 
after Samuel anointed Saul to be king, the first thing he had to do was now go up this mountain. And when you go up to the mountaintop, you will be met by a company, a band of prophets who will be singing and prophesying and playing on their instruments. When you come into that company, you will become one of them. Something in the plan of God for the king, for the first king of Israel, he had to mingle and come in the midst of the song of the Lord. He did, and we know what happened. So in this landscape, he started strong and then began to fall away from the Lord. That's Saul's story. In this landscape is where we find a young shepherd boy, probably out in the fields somewhere, taking care of his sheep. After a long, hard day's work, the sheep are back from pasture, and he's tired now, probably having late-night dinner under a tree, and the stars are out, and it's eerily quiet. And there, this young boy picks up a small instrument, no one there to hear the sound, and he begins to play his secret chord. I can imagine the song of his heart. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. God, I love you with my whole heart. He began to encounter God. No one there to listen but him. And I'm imagining in this kind of a setting, this young boy reaches into the realities of God, past all of the chaos of his known life. He reaches past it and sees only God. And out of that encounter, he writes, blessed is the man. The first words, the first entry of the book of Psalms, the first entry of the first chapter. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks. I want to pray this over us in the beginning of the year as a blessing for our lives. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. This shepherd boy, as king, would later appoint, because of the reality of that hidden moment, he would appoint tens of thousands of musicians and singers day and night, 24-7 for years. 
and he keeps writing. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. What a profound entry of new language and new reality into the Old Testament strife of finding God. The lack of which Jesus had to come and fulfill and establish. Into that he writes, blessed is the man. Blessed is, I want you to receive it deep inside of you. Blessed is the man. This is our rested state of being as the people of God. You see, David wasn't writing merely a local song for him or for his time period. He was writing out of eternal reality that he peered into. Because these are words that were spoken thousands of years before. In the account of creation, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. And if you didn't understand that line... It says, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, then he blessed them. The very first interaction of God toward us is he blessed us. Nothing had happened. We always look at blessing as from the outward signs of what we see, right? Oh, I had a new blessing. That's what we that's that's true. But the blessing of God is the overflow of who he is into our life, being in his image. After he blessed them, then he said, "Be fruitful and multiply." Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. And this shepherd boy begin, continues to sing. There's something on him, an anointing we call it. A secret chord. It was this secret chord that Saul, who was king, and going through his difficult season said, I know of a boy who has something different about him. Bring him to me. And they brought David to him, and David played his secret chord. David played his instrument, what he, the atmosphere that he carried. And Saul got delivered in that moment. You see, what David was simply doing was reminding Saul of how it all started for him. Remember that song when you went up the mountain, Saul. Remember 
the words. Remember the music. Do you remember the melody you were singing when you came up together with the band of prophets and you became one like them? So much so that your townsfolk didn't even recognize you. Saul, do you remember the song? This is what you're meant to carry even as a king. Blessed is the man. It's not just a local song, but is the words of creation and exchange between God and his likeness. David grabs a hold of it. I hear it. When he peered past his local scene, he looked and said, I still, that's still alive. These words are still alive. He grabbed a hold of it and he began to write, blessed is the man. In Hebrew, ashrei ha'ish, biatus vir in Latin. All of a sudden, the nations began to hear a different language. The nations of the earth from then until now began to hear a new paradigm of who we are in our rested state. Not because of what we've done, in who we are, having done nothing. In Spanish, Bienaventurado es el hombre. In German, for all of our Lancaster friends. Glückselig der Mann. In Nepali, for our friends here. Danyeho Tiomanis. In my language, Manushin Bhagyavan. These, these words, this sound would shift our history with God from then till today. And it became, became the common language throughout Psalms, no matter who wrote the songs. Blessed is the man, Psalm 65, whom you choose and cause to approach you. 84, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, Psalm 94. Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Psalm 128, blessed is now everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. The power of this new era of the writing of song in the midst of trying to find God in storytelling change the landscape and change the narrative of the nation of Israel altogether. What started with the laws, trying to figure it out, and the history of give and take, push and pull, trying to keep what they want, you know, what, they, what God had asked them to do, but failing most of the time. All of a sudden, this new language that restores us to the initial creation account changes the, the narrative after that. Right after the book of Psalms, we begin to see, I feel that the, this new language, this bold new culture of raw emotions with God began to give rise to the prophets. Isaiah comes on the scene right after this. Those who sat in darkness have seen a great... Do you see the language changing in scriptures? Those who sat in darkness now have seen a great light. Unto us... A son is born. Unto us a child is born. A son is given. All of a sudden, prophets begin to rise up and begin to declare, we still have a hope. 
We may have fallen, but the blessedness of God, the redemptive plan, the words blessed is the man, when he made them and blessed them, still travels through time and space, regardless of how we've missed it. And David grabbed a hold of it. Now because of David, the prophets began to grab a hold of it and they began to proclaim hope an expectation that our God is still alive and the hope of who we are is still alive, even to 2023. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel began to prophesy, the days are coming when I'll pour out my, oh, this was not heard in the land. This was not the expectation before. David sang, blessed is the man. All of a sudden, I'll pour out my spirit in the last day. The major prophets, the minor prophets, the prophets before exile, prophets during the exile. Now it didn't matter. Daniel and Ezekiel, during the exile, they're still prophesying. You see, they, now they have dislocated themselves from their visible, seen reality. Now they're tapping into, it doesn't matter what's going on. We have hope. We have hope. We have songs to sing about it. We have language to give to this, that which we don't see, but we're longing for. Zechariah, Esther, Nehemiah, all the way through, these prophets begin to rise up right after this new era of, of psalms and songs. Brian was speaking last, last week that he remembers his timeline through worship songs. That's biblical reality. There was a 400-year break, and then the Messiah arrives on the scene in Jesus. 30 years he lives, and he begins to pick the most random group of people calls, follow me, follow me. He picks 12 and begins to walk and travel all through the land. And then he goes up a mountain. The very first recorded preaching and message of Jesus is called the Beatitudes on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. This is what he has been waiting since the beginning of time for this moment. His first message and his first Hot preaching with his disciples. Here's what it says. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Even when people persecute you for my name's sake, even when they slander you, blessed. That was not a cute message. He is now embodying humanity, us. And he's grabbing a hold of that which we were created into when God created us and blessed us. David grabbed a hold of it. Blessed is a man. Jesus comes on the scene. Now that he's part of us, he identifies with everything. He identifies with the meek. He identifies with our suffering. He identifies with our brokenness. He identifies with our loss. And he speaks into every area that we go through. And he speaks. It's not just a general spiritual statement. It's a reality. Can you imagine? Jesus should have. There was a family in the first service that lost their 
son recently, he said, when you spoke that, it did something to, I don't know what it did, it did something to me. Blessed are those who mourn. I've never seen it that way before. Can you imagine Jesus comes on the scene? He should have preached his first message about the glorious realities of the eternal Godhead. But he comes and says, blessed are those who mourn. He's been waiting. To take all of our life circumstances and put it into the reality of being a people blessed by God. Thank you, Lord. And he came into it. It wasn't automatic. When Mary conceived a child, she traveled across the nation to find her Elizabeth. And as soon as she, when she was approaching Elizabeth, Elizabeth was pregnant too, and the baby inside her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a powerful encounter. They haven't even said anything to each other. And the first response of Elizabeth to Mary carrying this child is, blessed are you among women. And not only that, blessed is a fruit of your womb. These are eternal moments when Jesus now in that moment comes into the fullness of his own creation. Peter, walking with Jesus. Peter's always in my storytelling. Missing it all together. A fisherman, uneducated. There's rumors about Jesus all over town. They're trying to figure out who he is, what he's all about. And, and maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's Jeremiah. And Jesus gathers his disciples and says, guys, look, they're saying all these things about me. I want to know. What do you think? Who do you think I am? Peter gets up. The most, he shouldn't have gotten up. Stand, he shouldn't have been in that men's conference. He should be sitting down. Peter, this is not your moment. The fishing story, yeah, you can do that. That's your cue. Now this is like theology, you know. Peter stands up and he says, you are the Messiah. Wow. You are Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. You are, you are Jesus. Yeshua, the Messiah. Not only that, you are the son of the living God. And you know what Jesus tells him? In this revelatory moment, he says, Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. The normal expect, normal understanding of culture at that time, normal religious study cannot give you this answer. This was given to you from an eternal space by my Father. Blessed are you, Peter. On this, I'm going to build my church. Come on. Not just the revelation, but the blessing that came to Peter because of that revelation. Woo! And this blessing manifests, is meant to manifest in our lives. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. That brings forth fruit. In its season. Come on, I want to speak this as a blessing. Why don't we stand to our feet? That brings forth fruit in its season. I want to speak another, another time just on this passage. 
about the planting of the Lord, the river and the fruit. Fruit in its season, he's not talking about the natural season of when fruits bear or trees bear fruits. He's talking about the season of the blessing of God that is on this man, according to which he bears fruit. If you're a business owner here this morning, I want to pray this over you. This is for all of us, business owners, for this year, that your fruit will be not according to the numbers, not according to what you see, not according to what you expect, not according to the economy, but your fruit in, will be in the season of the resident blessing of God on your life. You can't be set apart at the altar to the Lord and then do business naturally. Whose leaves also shall not wither. What does that mean? Leaves wither in the right, in its season for a natural tree, correct? In the fall, right at the end of summer, when the leaves begin to wither and fall, you don't go, the leaves are gone. The leaves are, you don't. Why? Because that's what's expected. You expect the tree that's normal signs that God himself created. But the man who is blessed by God does not respond to the natural expectation of climate or culture or surrounding. <laughs> Whose leaves will not wither. And whatever he does will prosper. How about that for a business plan? Thank you, Lord. If you're involved in real estate, I want to bless you. Not according to the economy. If you're involved in stocks and trading, not according to natural understanding. If you're a local business owner, it doesn't matter what happens around you. You are blessed by God, of God, to prosper. Whatever, say this with me, whatever, whatever. I want to speak to families. If you're with your family, just gather them near you. Just put an extra. Families to come under this blessing of God in this new year. You see, when we come into this blessing, when we become that Psalm 1 man, when we become that Psalm 1 family, our children come under that blessing and under that covering, the shade of that tree. And we become God's people here on the earth. Blessed is he. Blessed is me, my family. And here's what Jesus said. I will not return to you in Matthew 23, 39. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Come on. Not only are we called to be that Psalm 1, blessed is he. Now as we live that out as a company, Jesus is looking all around the earth to see that company, that tree that is blessed by him, who will then say, we're ready. Blessed are you. Blessed is he. Baruch haba Adonai. This is spoken in all of Jewish ceremonies. 
Sarah and I got married under a chuppah. And when, I, when the bridegroom walks in, my cue to walk into my ceremony is the priest saying, Baruch Hashem Blessed is he who comes. And our bridegroom is coming to us in the same way. To be equally yoked with this blessed man, groom who will come. He's looking for his bride that has been made ready under the canopy of the blessing of God. Thank you, Lord. Come on, grab your family. For the beginning of this new year, Charles always prays this blessing throughout the year. And in this absence, I want to speak this blessing over us for 2023. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, may the Lord make His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, all through this year in every circumstance. Let everything that's broken be made whole. I speak over 2023 that every broken relationship will be kissed by God in reconciliation and restoration. Thank you, Lord. Come under the power of the canopy of God's blessing. Thank you, Lord. Now when we read scriptures, blessed be God. New Testament scriptures take on so much more weight and meaning. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We receive it for this year. We receive it for this year. In Jesus' mighty name, the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord an offering of praise for His blessing over our lives. Thank you, Lord. Come on. We love you, Lord. We bless you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. The altar is open. If there's any need for prayer, I want to welcome you to invite you to come up and we'll have ministry team available to pray for you, lay hands on you, bless you, see miracles in our lives. Other than that, be blessed. Have a great week. Last week of the season. Let's go birds. Bless the eagles. <laughs>